Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I just want to remind everybody that I will be at the Retro Games Festival in Sao Paulo, Brazil at the end of this month. I am so unbelievably thrilled to be there and I hope to see all of my Brazilian friends that could make it. So I'm going to be doing expo-esque announcements every week. Uh, very short, but I just wanted to start out with this one because this is a pretty big deal for me personally, and hopefully I'll be able to bring some retro gaming nerdiness down to my friends in Sao Paulo. But anyway, let's jump in and see what we got for this week. First up, YouTuber Sir Sethry recently posted a video that compared different latency of different Nintendo handheld consoles. And I was really fascinated by this because this is the exact type of thing I've wanted to dig in deep about for years now and just never had the time or found the excuse to go out and do it. And Seth's video was pretty interesting. Now, of course, with all nerd research in any kind of field around the planet, you don't take one set of results as proof. You have to repeat these results, test them, and that is absolutely not an insult to Seth. It's what I tell people about my own findings, so there's no shade being thrown, only compliments here, but it seems like Seth stumbled across things that people had some suspicions about, but I don't remember anybody doing the research and digging in like this. And some of the interesting things were Game Boy Advance games, had about the same latency on the Game Boy Advance, the SP, the AGS 101, and the Micro, but when you play them on the DS, DS Lite, and the 2DS XL, you end up with quite a bit more latency, one more frame. So this isn't something that could just be a result of maybe the slow motion work Seth did was a hair off. That is not what these results show, especially because the results are consistent across the different platforms. So it seems like DS and even the 3DS emulation uses hybrid emulation of sort. So it's not 100% software. It's also a little bit so uh, hardware related and that one of the chips that's used is also the same on the GBA. So they just run it at half speed. I'm oversimplifying all this. Seth goes into it in the video, but it's pretty interesting that one extra frame of lag would be added to those other solutions. And Seth also did check one of those IPS screens, but even Seth said in the video, that's one of like the hundred screens that are out there now. But people have suspected that those aftermarket screens are pretty laggy. So that's something to keep in mind is that we're really going to have to start lag testing these aftermarket kits to make sure which ones perform the way that we need it to and vice versa. Also for Game Boy games, and this one I think is the one that was the most interesting to me, Game Boy uh, games on Game Boy Pocket and Game Boy Color were the same. However, on the Game Boy Advance, it added another frame of latency as well, which I had no idea that was the case. I could kind of suspect for Game Boy Advance, there were a few reasons as to why, but for original Game Boy, I would never have guessed that there's one more frame of latency. And then for the 2DS XL via the virtual console, there was uh, double, uh, double the latency, which that I understand is more of a hybrid gaming solution. But what does all of this mean? Well, it means that Seth has laid the ground uh, groundwork for a lot of follow-ups to this. Um, I've been using an LED-based kit attached to a controller for years now. Stee originally came up with the idea. Tian Fong ended up reworking it for me to make it a little easier to make. And heck, maybe one of these weeks we could turn that into a JLC PCB ad or something where I show everybody how to have those made. 
But I have a few left here, and this week I'm going to be soldering a few together and sending some to Seth, send some to a few other reviewers. Uh, hopefully I could send a giant bag of them to Tito for Macho Nacho. And I think what this just means is that we need to verify Seth's results. We need to try slightly different methods. Once again, not to prove anybody wrong, but anytime you could prove the same thing with different test methods is always a good thing. We always want to be the better nerds about stuff like this. So I, I really do think we need to dig into this one and kind of see, first of all, what is the latency difference? And second, when does it matter? So for things like speed running, lots of the little things Seth talks about are a very big deal. For things like sitting down and playing, that's completely up to you. And there's a lot of other factors involved. The type of screen, the ghosting, um, how that affects your eyesight. And this is also one of those things that's very complicated. And I'll mention it a few other times because of unrelated stuff in this week's podcast. But understanding how display lag applies to the games you're playing on the displays and scalers you're using are not uniform. And I keep trying to find different ways to explain this. I have obviously not done a good enough job yet, but I'm going to keep trying different ways until I can get through to people. So I'll save that one for, for more lag talk later. But definitely check out Seth's work. Uh, and on a personal note, this is just yet even more proof that somebody's subscriber count does not mean shit when it comes to how good their video is and how good their research is. So don't judge a book by its numbers. Whatever. Pick a stupid analogy or a saying and apply it to this. Because I thought I was really impressed with Seth's work. Totally forgot how I stumbled across the video. If you were somebody who recommended it, thank you for, for uh, doing the introduction. But yeah, this is cool stuff and I want to see more research into it. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, my favorite place to go for all the hardware projects I'm involved in. Boards up to two layers are usually ready to ship within a day or two, and boards up to six layers ship within a week, all for the same starting price of $2 for five pieces. They also offer stencils for people assembling their own components with a reflow oven, as well as even offer full assembly options for SMD and through-hole components if you'd like them to make the whole thing. Getting started is as easy as adding a Gerber file right to their website, selecting your options, color, and how many you'd like made. You can even add a stencil right from here to make it easier. If you're in a rush, you can get your orders extremely fast via DHL shipping. It's not cheap, but you'll be impressed how fast your order arrives. If you're on a budget or just not in a rush, they have shipping options starting at under $5. If you'd like more info on JLC PCB, keep checking out these ads as the weeks go by, as I'll soon post more walkthroughs on how to use all the features they offer. Next, Humble Bazooka has just released the latest in line of plug-and-play adapters for the Atari Jaguar. This one is the Jag AIOA Plus, which is the silliest, most ridiculous, awesomest output adapter I have seen for the Atari Jaguar, and I am so happy I bought it just because of its ridiculousness, but it is very functional too. So I'll skip through the video output because I've already talked about this quite a bit on previous podcasts. Please go back to those or just read the original reviews if you'd like more info. But this adapter allows you to get simultaneous, if you would like, RGB, composite video, and S-video. It is completely safe to use any one of those combinations at the same time, or obviously just one at a time. It's totally safe to split the audio in that scenario. 
and the video output quality is awesome. It's very high quality. Uh, there are no issues with it. The voltages are all fine. This is really just one of the best video output solutions you can get for the Jaguar. And it utilizes a Genesis 2 style DIN that is 100% compatible with any properly made Genesis 2 cable. And what I'm about to say applies to anything with the Genesis 2 AV port. If you buy a properly made cable, HD Retrovision, RAD 2X, any of the RGB SCART cables from the main vendors that I always recommend, this will work perfectly. If you buy a $2 AliExpress cable with no components in it, it could potentially cause some damage and it definitely won't look right. But that's not have anything to do with this adapter. Same applies to a Genesis 2 or anything with that port. So buy good cables. But on top of that, Humble Bazooka has also rolled in the functionality of its net adapter, which means you could play the two and a half games that support it. And I think there's some different homebrew, homebrew coming as well, which is a really cool feature. And on top of even that, there's a switch to enable the net adapter. Because apparently if you're using like a Jaguar game drive, you cannot have the adapter enabled or plugged in when it boots. So... Humble Bazooka came up with the easiest solution you could imagine. Leave it off at all times. And then after the game boots that you want to use the netplay function, flip it on. And that's it. Couldn't get any easier than that. So I, I bought this because I'm a dork that wants crazy Jaguar accessories. And I think it's hilarious to have this big thing sticking off the back with every feature possible. But the reality is the chances of me using the Netlink multiplayer solution is probably pretty slim as is the solution or as the, is the situation for most people buying this. So you're going to have to decide which one you want, but just because this is available doesn't mean Humble Bazooka canceled any of the other ones. So if you don't need the net adapter and you want to save yourself just a few bucks, I would absolutely get the regular but amped edition. So just the video out solution. And once again, if you want more details, please go back to those previous videos. But basically the AIOA amped edition allows all of the same functionality that I just talked about with this, just minus the net adapter, and you never have to worry about anything. The $10 cheaper than that one really is only designed for HD retrovision cables and one output at a time. So if you know that you're only using HD retrovision cables, then cool, fine. But I still personally, just my, my opinion, I'd spend the extra 10 bucks on the Amped or the extra couple more dollars past that to get this the ridiculous uh, plus edition, just so you never have to worry. Because yeah, you're using HD retrovision cables now, but what are you going to be using five years from now when you have to go play a round of Atari carts? So I'd just like to plan ahead. But either way, this is an awesome adapter. I'm so glad I bought it. It's ridiculous, and I love it. The team behind the Mr. Multisystem has just publicly revealed prototypes for their handheld version of the Mr. This is actually shown off in an interview we did, which I'll talk about in a minute, but this is a very cool concept, and while these are prototypes and still subject to change, it really shows what could be done with a Mr. Handheld solution, and I think they're really cool. I talked to Neil and Richard a little bit about this um, behind the scenes and in the podcast, and I think the biggest challenge might be trying to find something that everybody is happy with. So there are prototypes that look great, but everybody has their own preference. Some people like buttons farther in, some like them farther out, some like different shapes or orientations. So the team is considering different ways to go about doing this and want to make sure that it ticks a few boxes. 
The first one is that it's 100% compatible with all existing Mr. Cores and solutions, so they don't have to fork the software side of the project. People could just start using this the same way they always have. But they were also talking about things like maybe having a base module and one case or using an existing off-the-shelf solution that they could use to save money and potentially having it so that other people could make their own shells for it so that you have the main guts, which they would manufacture. But if you wanted to make it look like a Sega Game Gear or an Atari Lynx or whatever else, you could do that. But all of this stuff is really just speculation but the proof of concept is there. It's a working idea. Everything seems to be fine. And the really the biggest hurdle at this point is the global part shortage, because it's not just the cost of things going up, it's being able to get them and get them consistently. I'm running into this all the time where I'll place an order two weeks ago for something and then resistors, the resistor I used are completely out. So then I got to spend time finding a replacement and all that stuff. And when you're talking about a, a, a board with, a handful of components, it's annoying. When you're talking about a board with hundreds of components, it's nuts to try to keep up with that. So they're going to do their best to keep moving forward. I love this idea. I think it's very cool. I'm personally not the biggest handheld gamer, but I know a lot of people are, and I could completely see a reason that people would want to use something like this. So we will, of course, keep everybody updated as to any any new official announcements. I think the most important thing to take away from this is it's a prototype proof of concept that is working. There's no technical limitations to this not happening, but there's a lot of other factors involved that means we might not see it this year, next year, who knows. But fingers crossed, because I really want this to be a product and I really think they're going to do a great job. So Intech Gaming, once again, is trying to fund a cash grab Kickstarter using a junky video audio circuit for Game Boy Advance this time instead of N64. I covered it pretty detailed in the video, so I'm going to give a quick overview here. And I also want to talk to you all about something that I need your help with that applies to this and many other things. But here's the short, short version. Intech Gaming just came up with a way to take a normal-sized Game Boy Advance, not the SP, remove the motherboard, and place it into a really nice case with zero soldering required that comes together as easily as you can imagine with a Super Nintendo port for your controller and even a Bluetooth connection if you want to connect Bluetooth controllers. I didn't test that. I'm sure it's laggy as hell like everything else they do, but even let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say they use the open source Blue Retro, so it's an almost zero lag Bluetooth solution. That all awesome right? And on top of that, it outputs analog video and HDMI, which is incredible. And they gave you a PCB and a cable that allows you to take that Game Boy Advance that you just removed the motherboard from, insert this motherboard, and turn it into a Super Nintendo controller to use with this or anything else that's compatible with the Super Nintendo. All of that is amazing. All of that is great ideas that I really think that the community wants, especially the Game Boy Advance as a controller idea, because with their PCB and cable, you could then just take an off-the-shelf Game Boy Advance shell, like a third-party shell and some buttons, and make yourself a controller that way if you want. And yes, I know you could do that with a GameCube, but it requires a working Game Boy Advance, and this will work with anything with a Super Nintendo plug. So all of those things are awesome. I absolutely love it. 
but they're using the same shitty circuit they used in the Warrior 64. That's the same shitty circuit that's in all those garbage HDMI cables. So the result is two to three frames of variable latency, a blurry smeared mess, never the correct aspect ratio. The switch in back four by three is too narrow. 16 by nine is too wide. There's one odd use case scenario that Fiber Index stumbled across that I just don't think is a, a good idea anyway, where you could sort of get it to look like a super Game Boy. But overall, everything about it stinks. And oh, by the way, remember that analog video output that I just said could have been a good idea? It's very off of their aspect ratio and it's 480i over composite video. So it's terrible, but here's what I need your help with. It's definitely going to get funded because all of their cash grab stuff seems to get funded. And I tried to get the word out by having Mason make me this stupid clickbaity thumbnail. I did also have Mason make a real thumbnail for me, which I'll replace in a few weeks. Um, but the problem is getting the word out about these things and getting people to understand the scenarios in which lag is important, which I think I've done a good job demonstrating the technical aspects of it, but I think I need to do a whole other video really getting down to the layman's terms, overall, when does lag matter scenario. And I think a great example I can give you is if you have one of those new C1 LG OLEDs that Mark from My Life in Gaming just did the review on, and you set it to BFI mode, that's a frame and a half of lag. And let's just say hypothetically, you've left your RetroTank 5X in triple buffer mode. So now you're talking about, you know, two and a half, maybe three frames of lag total on a gorgeous panel with almost no motion blur, with a very fast pixel refresh rate. So you really feel closer to a CRT experience. I would be willing to bet that any average gamer, not hardcore fighting game Tetris fan, but any average gamer that's not playing turn-by-turn role-playing games, something where reaction time does matter and timing your moves does matter. If you sat somebody down in front of that scenario, which could have up to three frames of lag, depending on a bunch of things, and you sat them down in front of, say, I don't know, like a crappy 5x4 LCD panel with some junky controller board in it giving a frame and a half of lag, everybody's going to think that other one is laggier, even though technically it has less lag, because you're dealing with ghosting with the slow pixel response time. So if your character's running across the screen, you're seeing the blending of the frames together. And, you know, it's the same reason why you could have CRTs that you have some kind of slightly laggy downscaling solution that doesn't feel like it, because on the CRT, you don't have to worry about any of those other things. And the problem is that most people don't understand that, including people that are smart or worse, people that think they're really smart. And all the time I try to help out in scenarios like this. And I often get met with just being mocked by everybody involved. Oh, those are just for CRT purists. They hate flat panels. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just reviewers that are, you know, overly, no, fuck all of those people. What we have always been trying to teach people, we meaning anybody in the retro gaming scene that actually understands what things like lag is and what actually understands what aspect ratios and, and the correction around that is, is how to preserve the experience to be as close to the original as possible. And we tried to talk a little bit about that with the plasma screen refresh, but I guess this really just 
needs another video and it needs more importantly more people to take the time to understand and share the info because i guarantee you this stupid kickstarter is going to get funded and i'm pretty much you know my uphill battle against lag is falling on mostly deaf ears because people don't really understand the differences so please if you see one of these echo chamber facebook groups where there's a whole bunch of people mocking anybody who cares about lag politely take a moment to say hey, it's easy to mock what you don't understand. Maybe you should check out some other info on this. And if you hear people saying, hey, did you see that amazing thing from Intech Gaming? It looks like a great solution. Don't be shy to politely tell them, hey, it was an amazing idea, and they totally fucked up. On the flip side of that, if Intech Gaming actually puts a pause on the Kickstarter campaign and comes back and does this right and fixes most of the issues... I will be the first person to promote it. I said that in the video and I meant it. I will absolutely, I'll do their launch video for free. Young from Intech, we've talked before. I know you don't like me. I will do your fucking launch video for free for you as good as I possibly can and as in-depth as I showed those lag tests if you do it right. And you don't need to do some crazy pixel perfect 4K thing. Just get rid of the garbage. Get the aspect ratio right. That's not too hard. And then get the latency down by not using the same bullshit circuit that you've been using that all of your friends use. And if it's not the sharpest solution or if the aspect ratio is a hair off or whatever else, that's fine. Just the fact that everything about the audio and video circuit, including the fact that it's mono and supposedly they didn't know the Game Boy Advance was stereo, so it was original Game Boy, by the way, it just means that they really don't know what they're doing. So pause that Kickstarter campaign. Do it right. Charge a little more if you have to. Try not to because I love how cheap this thing was. If it worked right. And I will promote the hell out of it. But stop with this garbage. And hopefully we could all stop with this garbage too. Because it's the domino effect. It's not that I'm getting so upset that Intech Gaming is funding one project. That means nothing in the scheme of things. The reason I get so annoyingly pissed about this is because once this gets funded, another project's going to get funded, and then Limited Run Games is going to list it just like they do their shitty HDMI cables and say, well, everybody needs a cheaper solution, and more people are going to buy those, and more dominoes are going to fall, and for some reason, most other people in the industry don't see this. Maybe it's because I did product development, maybe because I'm an obsessive nerd, or maybe nobody else cares and they're just looking to take people's money. I don't know, but it's up to us to do something about it. So rant over, but I think this one was really necessary. On a much lighter note, now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retrosource. As always, I'm going to just skim through these, and if you hear any subject that piques your interest, please check out Lou's post, check out the video, and of course, don't forget to subscribe to Lou's channel as well. First up, the 32X Core received audio updates that fixed some of the fast noise in some of the games, making it a really solid core. I believe that was Kitrinx, Risha, not sure what I'm supposed to say, but it was uh, they were the ones that fixed it, and I've been playing Space Harrier on my Mr. Cade and loving it. I know it's not exactly the same as the original, but it's close and it's enjoyable, and it's, you know, it, it's just very cool to be able to experience the 32X library with no effort. Also, uh, the arcade game Turkey Shoot has been released. Um, this was originally written by Dar FPGA and ported to Mr. by Birdie Bro. This was a 1948, 1948, whew, sharp today, huh? A 1984 game uh, in which the world's population has been transformed into killer turkeys. 
you take the role of a turkey terminator to get rid of these turkeys. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to play it. Uh, some more updates to the PSX core. It's looking like the release should be this month. As always, I never want to put pressure on any of the developers and the beta cores are available to download if you want to mess with this. Uh, but in my opinion, take your time, Robert. We're all very excited for this. Uh, Robert has announced that texture filtering to smooth out the look is also going to be an optional feature that should be available on launch, which I love. I think that dither blending, texture blending type of stuff per game on a per game basis could really add to it and be one of the many things about Mr. that if it's something you're into could technically make it better than the original for certain scenarios. So I'm not just excited for the Mr. Core or for the um, PlayStation Mr. Core, which that in itself is a massive accomplishment. I'm also really excited that people get to see what could be done with this that you could never really do on original hardware. I also love original hardware, not, not going down that road, just saying I like them both. Um, also, Hotego released a bunch of arcade beta cores to the public, things like Robocop, Bad Dudes, um, Sly Spy, Boulder Dash. And as always, if you want to get access to any of these while they're still being worked on, while they're still in beta, you have to join Hotego's Patreon. And as soon as they're stable enough, he releases them for free for everybody, which you could have your own opinions on that. Mine is that it's a perfectly awesome thing to do for people. Also, Mr. Retro Wolf has posted episode 12 of his Mr. Core development series, which involves the display and CPU, and you're shown how to get a test screen going. And I always appreciate stuff like this, because while I'm not smart enough to be an FPGA developer, I know quite a few people that are, and they just don't really know how to get started. So stuff like this is perfect. Also, the uh, Mr. GitHub has added a wiki that shows you how to connect Mr. Devices to different analog sets. Um, this kind of comes in hand in hand with a lot of the S-Video and composite things that are coming out now, which I'll talk about in a bit, but I'm excited that they're having this information documented. The reason I didn't immediately follow up my HDMI outputting Mr. Video with a 10 minute analog video is because it wouldn't be 10 minutes, it'd be an hour to explain what each of the options are. So I have the script, Pretty, pretty well done, but I'm waiting for a few more things to release because it's about to get a lot easier depending on your situation. If you just want RGB, it's about as easy as it gets now, but uh, more to that in the future. There's also a guide that shows you how to create or how to dial in the exact settings for the mode lines for a core. Now that's worthy of its own video, so please check out Lou's post on it and the GitHub for more info. Um, but that's kind of an interesting thing as well, and something that you may or may not be interested in, depending on how much you like to tweak the look of your games. And lastly, if you don't want to manually create separate Mr. Game launcher files for your entire library of games, the user Wizzo on the Mr. Forums have posted a new script that will create a new games folder that will list all the games in your library and let you launch them directly. So, I think that there is one very important reason for this. The second important reason for this is obviously that's how you want to do it. You have your top 10 favorite games. You want to just load those without loading the core first. But I want to do this once I get a rotated Tate mode 
tape mode, call it whatever the fuck you want, but a rotated arcade setup. I want to have all of the games that are rotated accessible from one menu right when I boot, because obviously I wouldn't care about launching anything else. And I think this would be the perfect way to do it. So thanks to Wizzo for doing this. And of course, thanks to Lou for always doing these weekly updates. They're such a help to all of us. And uh, hopefully I'm able to do them justice by running through them uh, in a quick manner like I do here. I recently posted a long-form podcast interview with Neil and Richard from RMC, where we talked about The Cave, which is a very cool thing that I think I've talked about here before. I have a, uh, a video embedded if you want the tour of The Cave. We also talked about the Mr. Multi-System and the Mr. Handheld, so it was kind of cool that we got to launch that together this week. Well, I didn't launch it. I just talked about them launching it. But anyway, and a little bit about our backgrounds, kind of dug into technical nerdy stuff of things that we've done over the years. And it was great. Um, you know, I don't know why it's taken this long for, for Neil and I to hook up like this and do this kind of podcast. I blame myself because I usually get so busy that I just forget to message people. But I'm glad we did it. And I hope it's the first of many. Um, Neil works on a lot of very cool things. And I would love to help promote, uh, be a part of or whatever else. And I think this was just a very cool first chat, kind of all getting to know each other and doing a fun little crossover. So hopefully it's interesting to all of you. As always, every one of these long form weekly podcasts are available everywhere. So wherever you want to listen or watch, just search your favorite app for retro RGB, or in this case, retro RGB RMC, and it should all pop up. So if you're interested in any of this, check it out. At the very, very least, please check out the video, the short video of Neil's cave tour. I think it's something that a lot of people would be interested in. And it's something that I really, really, really wanted to do here in the States. Um, it was something we talked about this in the interview, but something we almost made happen uh, early 2020. And then what a shock. That was one of the things that fell through. So maybe we could still swing back around to doing something like that. But it's a, uh, you know, a lot of parallel thinking. Neil did a lot of things that I would have wanted to do and uh, gave some ideas that I would absolutely steal if I ever do it, but we're on different sides of the pond. So it's not like I'm taking away <laughs> taking away any kind of attendees from them. Uh, I think stuff like this is awesome. And I, I hope to work with somebody to do this here. If you are already working on something like this, let me know, uh, especially if you're around the New York area, because I could physically be there to help out sometimes. But the cave is such an awesome idea. And you know, so is, uh, so is Neil's YouTube channel, so check that out as well. Lewis from Zez Retro just posted a video and a very awesome detailed post about how to get S-Video and composite video from your mister. And this is something that we've been talking about for a while, but there was always the issue of converting to composite video and having all of the different color and dot crawl effects that might happen as a result. And this all stems from new cores that are being worked on from Mike Simone that generate this signal in the core itself. At that point, all you would really need to do is take a video output solution, either IO board or direct video, and wire it correctly. And by wiring it correctly, S-Video means just finding the right cables or making your own. Composite video, you really need to build a small and very easy circuit around it, but it, it's something that I think is going to be a very big deal. And I do think it's gonna to start to get a little easier as more people release stuff and products for it. But if you need to do it right now, Lewis definitely has you covered. Um, I would I would read through the post, watch the video, both maybe watch the video and then reference the post back afterwards. But this really shows you how to get it done and how to get it to work pretty well. 
I think the biggest use for something like this, uh, and I think something a lot more people would jump on board with is, let's say you got your Mr. All set up and you have it to your beautiful flat panel TV with low latency and you're really in enjoying playing it, but you want to play light gun games or you just stumbled across a free, really awesome CRT with only composite video input. Now you're set. Now you're finally able to take Mr. and hook it up and have it working pretty decently. There's still some bugs that need to be ironed out. There's still some other hardware that could be coming out soon. But I think Mike laid the groundwork with his cores, and I think Lewis certainly helped with all of the guides and the instructions around it. But I think this is pretty cool. And I hope that we're approaching a time where you could buy a Mr. and then just buy an analog kit, and then you could get component composite S-Video and RGB, or I guess even VGA. You could easily get that now with a converter though, but you know, I'd love to have one solution that just gets you everything you need so that you never have to worry. And I guess maybe even individual things if you only need composite, only need S-Video, whatever else, but uh, very happy to see the project going down this road. Also, uh, welcome, Lewis, to the team. I believe this is his first post, which is weird because it feels like he's been part of the team for a lot longer now, but I guess this is uh, the first official post for Lewis, so thank you very much and welcome to the team. Well, that's it for this week. I was going to say it was a short one, but I guess I went on a 10-minute rant about lag in there that dragged it on to the normal length, so uh, sorry about that, but I just it's, it's really hard to fight that battle sometimes. Like, on the flip side, being wrong is the easiest thing in the world hey, I screwed up. Here's what I did. Here's why I thought it was the right thing to do. And here's how I'm not going to, or at least try not to do that again. That's easy. Anybody could be wrong. Being right is really freaking hard. And I always second guess myself. Like, am I, am I actually right? Then I go back and I recheck my work and I check with all people that are way smarter than me. And they're like, oh no, you're right. But we don't want to deal with that shit. So you go tell people you're right. And <laughs> so it's, you know, it is what it is, I guess. But uh, hopefully I'm trying to get these messages through as positive as possible. Hopefully I don't come across as a whiny drama channel looking to point and be angry at the camera. Makes me want to puke every time I see myself and it kind of come up, comes across that way. So cross your fingers, cross my fingers and hope that's not how it came out. But it needed to be said one way or the other. So anyway... Thank you for making it this far. If you sat through all that, uh, thank you as always to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments. And of course, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, because it is you that is keeping all of this research alive, as well as the podcasts and the fun stuff I do as well. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>